Wow. Let us pray together. Now, Father God, as we come into your presence and we're reminded afresh of who you are and we're reminded again of your love, God, and we look at our sinful lives, we truly can boast no more. The only thing that we can boast about is about our God, about his love and his character, about his son and how he has come and rescued sinners like us. We can boast in the spirit that is pleased to make his home inside of us and is a promise guaranteeing that we will make it home. That's all we have to boast in. It's in you, God. It's in your glory. And we thank you that you remind us of that each and every day. And oh, what a privilege and a pleasure it is to boast in you and not boast in ourselves. And Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that your spirit would come and it would open up our ears to hear your voice and open up our minds to understand your word so that we will not boast in and of ourselves that we will see ourselves rightly as sinners deserving your displeasure, but see ourselves in Christ as adopted and beloved children of the King. And that our boasting because of your word and feeding upon it will be on the work of your Son on our behalf. And it will be a song that we would sing so clearly and so passionately that all of our community will long to hear it and long to join in. And Father, I pray that you would be pleased to use this broken servant today to speak your words and your truth. And God, the things that I say that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are spoken, that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can boast in His name. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when we all wake up tomorrow morning, we need to say thank you to Peter McGuire. Peter McGuire, a red-headed, fiery Irish-American who lived in the 19th century It's credited to Peter that he was the one who says, you know what, we need a celebration that celebrates the American industry. We need a celebration that that we can just celebrate all that God has done uh, in this country. I don't know if he used God, but he wanted a celebration. And you know what, this cabinet maker was a pioneer, uh, a pioneer with the unions. I really was intrigued that he was a cabinet maker. If a guy wants another day off a national holiday, who do you think he is? A banker, right? But no, he's not. He was a cabinet maker, and he says, we really need a day that really celebrates American industry. One year later, a group called the Knights of Labor had a parade, a parade down Broadway uh, all the way uh, to Union Square in New York City, a a parade where, where all these workers took off work to marched together in solidarity saying we need a day to celebrate who we are as American industrialists. Many of those who took that parade, who walked that day, had their jobs threatened. If you go, you might lose your job. Well, some 12 years later, 
President Grover Cleveland signed a Labor Day holiday bill into law. And really, isn't it kind of a misnomer, Labor Day? I mean, what's supposed to be tomorrow? It's supposed to be a rest day, not a Labor Day. A little bit more interesting stuff about Labor Day, the Socialist Party, they wanted to have that day move not to September, although it was that parade was that first Monday in September. They wanted the day moved to May 1st for May Day. And in true American spirit, uh, we said, no, we don't want any association with the socialists or the communists that have their celebration of who they are and their industry in May. We are going to have ours the first Monday in September. Do you remember May Day, by the way, for the Soviets? You all grow up that way. I mean, I remember growing up with an incredible fear of the Soviet Union. We were continually told of how powerful they were, how many missiles they had pointed at us. And I remember living close to Griffiths Air Force Base that had B-52s, and they would scramble these B-52s. They had nukes there. And we heard that we were on the top ten list of Russia. Now, I guarantee you, whoever said that didn't know what they were talking about, because Rome, New York is not in anybody's top ten list. I don't care what they had there. But I remember seeing those pictures from their May Day, and I remember seeing the tanks lined up. Uh, I remember seeing their missiles, and I remember being terrified of who they were. Tomorrow's Labor Day, and I'm terrified. Not because it's a day of rest, because tomorrow for Labor Day in the Jakes family means cleaning out the garage. Now, wouldn't you be terrified too? How many of y'all have cleaned out the garage? All right, if you haven't, you better leave here afterwards and go do it. You know, cleaning the garage is one of those activities. Don't you wish it was a once in a lifetime activity? Don't you wish like, okay, one day I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to give up golf. I'm going to give up family time or whatever. And we're going to have this one day and clean the garage, get it all spick and spam. And by the way, some of you always have clean garages. We have a therapy for you and there's some counseling. Uh, But Clean it up one time and it's it. But I don't know about you, but life is so cluttered. And it seems like my, my garage is a wonderful example of my life. There's stuff that I should throw away. There's stuff that I don't need anymore that I don't want to throw away. There's things that have a special meaning to me. I mean, one time I had a friend of mine who, whose garage is really, really clean uh, come and do the most incredible thing a friend could ever do. Help another one clean out his garage. And it was great because he had, he had no attachment to the stuff in my garage. I mean, that deflated leather basketball I use when I played basketball that will never hold air again, he threw it away. I said, what are you doing? He goes, it's junk, throw it away. And he was right. You know, I don't miss anything. I don't even remember half the stuff that he threw away that day. But when it comes to the Christian life, it's kind of like cleaning out the garage. It's kind of like this, this one thing we'd like to do is a once and for all, can't we come to Jesus Can't we acknowledge our sin and realize that there's a lot of junk in our garage, in our lives, and have them clean us up and then never have to do it again? But the reality in the Christian life is that uh, the garages of our lives need cleanup every day. Every day God is calling us to make sure the junk is thrown out and make sure that our lives reflect who he is and his will. Well, we come to the part of our study in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, that's going to remind us that we've got to be cleaning out the garage of our lives for the glory of God. Clean them out our garage so that we can do the very will of God. If you'll turn me your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 
First Peter 4 and this incredible challenge in God's word is to give us this attitude, this mindset that we're going to need to clean out and live our lives in a way that brings God glory. And if you look at 1 Peter 4, verse 1, it starts off with therefore. And we want to ask, it's hokey, it's been used from this pulpit before, others have said it and I'm going to say it too. If you see a therefore, you want to ask, what is it? Very good. What a smart congregation. Not only do you love one another, you're smart. What is it there for? Well, really, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2 has a therefore that sends us back to 3, verse 18. Uh, 3, 18, and I'm going to pick up and actually start with 17 and 18, says this. 1 Peter uh, 3, verses 17 and 18, as a springboard into our text, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Being mindful that we're reading God's very word. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died or suffered and died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And last week we we heard God's word from verses 19 through 22 that basically is the exclamation point on what was just said. Listen, there is an incredible victory that Jesus has won for his Father's glory and for his children, for the elect. And this incredible victory is that the just, the only one who ever has been just, Jesus has died for the unjust. And this incredible act of mercy and love that the Son would do on the cross for us, becoming our sin, has given us this incredible blessing of being ushered in to God's presence. That we have this victory, that he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now last week we looked at this proclamation of victory and what it means, and there's really, really, really good news, is that Jesus' victory, you ready for this, is our victory too. And what Jesus did for his Father's glory and for the elect, we get to enjoy every day. And it's this victory that now Peter is going to look back to and say, well, therefore, because of the work of the Son... Because the Son came to suffer to set us free. Because of the reality that, yes, he died in the flesh, but there's such incredible news. He was made alive. He didn't stay there. He's alive in spirit, and he is alive today. We can have that victory. Therefore, now go to verse 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ also has suffered in the flesh, suffered and died in the flesh, arm yourself also. Or in the like manner, arm yourself also with the same purpose, with the same attitude, with the same mindset. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Let us pray. God, we ask that clearly you bless not only the reading but the preaching of your word for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, we got to remind ourselves, where are we? I mean, we've been going through Peter since the beginning of the year. And where are we? And what are the themes that, that Peter is, is unfolding for us? 
And a clear theme that is unfolding is this, is that Christians are going to suffer. That those who Peter is writing to, um, those are experiencing right now suffering. You ready for this? Suffering for being Christians. They're really being persecuted. They're being hated. They're even being put to death because they are rejecting the pagan world. They are rejecting the gods that others worship. And they are worshiping one God, the God, the creator of heavens and earth. This one God uh, through the work of his son and the power of the spirit. And because, you ready for this? Because they're trying to do the right thing. They're suffering. And Peter's telling them, listen, don't be surprised that this is happening to you. You know, sometimes suffering comes into our lives and we think, well, why? What is God doing? Why is he messing with us? And sometimes suffering comes into our lives as a direct consequence of our sin. And a heavenly father is going to try to steer our lives. But this is not what Peter's addressing here. He's addressing those who say, I want to live for God's glory. And it really, really hurts. I want to do the right thing, but I'm losing family members. I'm still struggling. What is this suffering all about? Well, he tells us, don't think it's a weird thing you're suffering. But he also does another thing. He points us to Christ. He says, Christ is our example. I mean, God's own son came to this earth and not to be served, but to serve and to suffer. He was called the man of sorrows. No one ever suffered like Jesus has suffered. No one ever will. I mean, he experienced all of God's wrath for our sin. Talk about suffering. And he points to Jesus. He says, now listen, that's not only the model, but that's the way home. And it's so encouraging to know that as we make our way home, we're going to have life and life abundantly. We're going to have fellowship with one another. We're going to have fellowship with God, but we're also going to hurt. We're also going to suffer. This is, this is not the B plan. This is the A plan. And, and, but Peter goes on to tell us in 3.14, now listen, if you suffer, you're blessed. Now, it's just not suffering for suffering's sake. Because not all people who suffer are blessed. But these are those who are suffering, doing the right thing, trying to live for God. And they're being misunderstood. They're being criticized. They're being abused. Maybe just like you are when you stand up for Christ in the marketplace. Just like you are when you stand up for Christ in your neighborhood. Sometimes standing up for Christ leads to suffering. But God tells us, listen, you're blessed in 314. Blessed are those who suffer. And because of Christ's suffering, we have life. And now with all this, and he points us back to Christ. He points us back to Christ's victory. Now he says, arm yourself with an attitude. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's really what it says. He says that we are to be arming ourselves with an attitude. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, since he has done that, arm yourself also with the same attitude, the same purpose, the same intent as Christ did, the same mindset. This is a military expression. Uh, We find this uh, throughout Scripture that God is calling his own children Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we picture this uh, relationship with God, this like walk along the beach and everything's going to be ducky. But you, you, you read scripture and you realize, hey, you're my children. And now that you're my children, you are in a battle. And now that I've rescued you and given you life, there's, there's an enemy who hates you and wants to take you down. And throughout scripture, really the motif of scripture for God's children is one of battle. And throughout scripture it says, put on. The garb of battle, put on the full armor of God. We see that 
in Ephesians 6. I mean, it's probably one of the most famous passages of that. Ephesians 6, 11 and following. Um, uh, Paul tells us, I think I said Peter, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. In Romans 13, verse 12, Paul again tells us, put on the armor of light. He, there's a continual uh, reoccurrence of this military call that we are to prepare ourselves for battle. But there's something different here. Something really unique that's, that's, that's profound. This is the arming of our attitudes. This is the arming of our mind. This is the mental side of war. I think the reality is, is we can be dressed for battle. You can have the right uh, garb, but if you don't have that right battle mindset, that external garments can be proven powerless. Unless you have the right mindset, it doesn't matter what the external battle robe looks like. And I love what it says. This is more than just being armed. Here's what it really is saying. Be armed with insight. Hmm. Think about that. Be armed with insight. I want your mind, Peter is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to be wrapped around this so much that it gives you insight to living. It will affect your entire attitude. Be armed with a specific insight. And this insight that we are to be armed with will give us what we need to live our lives. What is this insight? What is the insight that he is telling us to be armed with? Well, the insight we, we read in verse 18. I mean, the biggest insight from this is this. Christ died for sins once and for all. The insight that we win because Christ wins. Amen? I mean, never let that, never let that reality become dull to us. As we battle in the flesh, as we still struggle in sin, as we still suffer, have the insight to know we win and we've won. Why? Because Christ has won for us. That is the insight to know that the just has died from the unjust once and for all. It's all over. In God's economy, when he looks at sinners like us, sin has been paid for for his children completely. You will never have to pay the penalty for your sin, which is death, because once and for all, Jesus paid it. You'll never have to bear that guilt in the Father's eyes anymore, because once and for all, Jesus has paid it and became a guilt offering. He has broken the power of sin. We now, as his children, not only have had our debt paid, we also have now been given new life. And this new life is really exciting because for the first time ever, we have the power, the power of the resurrection to live a life pleasing to God. For the first time ever, we can live a life that is not just in the flesh. That's not just about lust. There's good news, Christian. There's good news. This insight should propel you every day. Don't wake up tomorrow and thank Peter McGuire. Wake up tomorrow and thank Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, is as you go to bed, as you wake up, you and Christ are champions. That's the insight that we can't lose. We preached hard last week about this victory in Christ. But it's our victory too. The insight... What insight, what, what more about this insight? The insight that suffering is a part of the Christian's journey home. This is a very important insight that it seems like much of Christendom is missing. 
I know it. I see him too. I turn on the TV and I usually stop and I'm intrigued and I think, wow, he's got a lot of people there. Check out his suit, whoever they might be, and preaching. A lot of times they're preaching a, a message that seems very different than what I'm hearing and reading in Scripture. And it's basically saying you live the Christian life and you're going to be free of suffering. And everything is going to be rosy. And, and your life, if, you, if you're not being blessed, well, there's something you're doing wrong. Well, God's word gives us the insight that says if you are trying to live a godly life, you will be persecuted by this world. We're in a battle. That's insight. That way, when it starts to happen to us, we start, why, God, I'm, I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to, to fill out my, uh, my zone reports or, or do my paperwork in a, in a way that brings integrity. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm still suffering. Just know that a part of doing the right thing, you are blessed by God. and You will suffer in this world. The Christian's way home is a difficult one. The insight in verse 17. Here's this insight. Listen, and, and, and I tell you, if we get this insight, transformation. If we get this insight, if we live this out, look at verse 17, this insight. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. It's the insight that says, I want to live my life in integrity before the Father. And no matter what happens, I want to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so help me God, Live my life that I am choosing the right thing even when it hurts. And it's t- how many times in life do we, do we have an option and say, you know what, I can do the right thing and it's going to c- take money out of my pocket. It's, it's going to scar my name. It's going to ruin my reputation. Uh, I'm going to be laughed at. Or I could skirt around it and do the wrong thing. And who would really know? And I can avoid all that. It's the insight to know. It says, man, as a man and woman and a young person of God, The insight of knowing doing the right thing is God's will, even when it hurts. Arming yourself with this attitude, this mental side of war. And again, we have Christ's example. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, I mean, the ultimate example we have of suffering in the flesh was Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. It says in uh, 2.22, that he was without sin. He chose the will of his father over the pleasures of this world. Listen, he chose the will of his his, his father over the will of the world, even when it cost him his life. Even when following the will of the father, we cost him everything. I love the humanity of Jesus. We can't ever lose it. I mean, when you read the Gospels and you're in Luke and and you you find our Savior in the garden completely alone, his friends are asleep, and he knows what's coming. And he's begging the Father to let this pass. I mean, he is in such agony over the will of God and what is the will of God for the salvation of mankind that blood is coming from his pores. And he's saying, God, my father, if there's any way, I don't want to do it. If there's any way, let this pass from me. But thy will be done. I would rather do your will and suffer 
than not do your will and escape. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, but there's so much more than Jesus as our example. We can't just leave him as our example. He's more than that. You know, when we look at Jesus, we realize that, that he was the one who did put on the armor of God. He was the one who did battle his and our enemies. He is the one who has earned victory for us. He's more than an example. He is our warrior, our champion. Jesus is our victory. Not just our example. He's our victory. He's our hope. He's our life. He's our meaning. He's our purpose. It is all about him. Yes, he's our example. But he's our victory too. Paul was blown away with this realization and he writes about it in Romans chapter 6. Turn with me to Romans 6, please. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14, 17 and 18. And it's this victory that, that has completely changed Paul's life. And he says this, Romans 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, and this is a baptism by faith into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. You see, there's something so much more happening than an example. There's a union with Christ where we realize that we were with Christ in his death. Our sin was there. We were with Christ in his resurrection. We have that resurrected hope now and today. There's a union with Christ. It's certainly a mystery. But this is what Paul is telling us about. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Once and for all, he's done with sin. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those, who, those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. In verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that through Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What an incredible victory Christ has won for us. He is so much more than our example. He is our champion. All right.
Side note, completely off notes now, this is the time you start to worry. I think I was born to be a black preacher. <laughs> I told you a couple Sundays ago, I was, uh, I was there. You were there, weren't you, Carlos? Man, you know I was, don't you? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm the wrong color. I don't know what God did. He didn't make any mistakes. But I'm telling you, I was in Eatonville, and I was preaching on the Good Samaritan, and, and, and Carlos and Renee were there, and, and I'm so thankful that they're here and that, that they're a part of this body. But Carlos and Renee, it was their day of redemption. Because Carlos was standing up as I'm preaching. I'm banging the pulpit. I mean, the blood of G, I'm banging it. And, and my friends and family who came were looking at me like, I don't know who this dude is. I mean, I, I'm telling you. I mean, Katie's kind of poked me afterwards and said, are you all right? And, and Bill Talby, who knows me pretty well, says, I, I've never seen you like that. He called me every day for a week. Are you all right? That was unbelievable. I mean, you, you, you were, you, that was Jeff Jakes unplugged. And uh, <laughs> so you guys think you're getting it bad now. And I looked over, and there's Carlos, man. He's there. He's looking, yes, amen, Lord, amen. He's looking around saying, that's my preacher right there. He looks white, but he ain't. <laughs> so it's okay. So if you want to show me some of that love a little bit, you know, a couple of amens here and there. Because this is, this is, I mean, this is unbelievable stuff that Jesus is not our example. He's our victory. I mean, we can't hear this and just not say unbelievable God. So if the spirit moves and you want to shout out amen, lead the crowd, uh, Carlos. So what's our response? It says this, arm yourself with the same purpose. Interesting. As, as Christ had, arm yourself mentally. Have our minds ready for war. Arm yourselves with an attitude. Have an attitude. Christians, we need an attitude. we got to first realize we're in war. Christians, we need an attitude. we got to put on the full armor of God. Christians, we need to have an attitude. We need to have his attitude. His attitude towards sin. His attitude toward his Father's will. We need to have Christ's attitude. Again, this is what Paul was telling us, and I love this because next week in our Vision Sunday, I'm preaching out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we're going to talk about transforming our community together. And, and look at what Romans 12, 2 talks about when it talks about our minds being renewed. Romans 12, 2. And do, you, and do not be conformed to this world. We shouldn't, Christian, be like this world. It's not our pattern. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have your mind engaged in battle. Have your mind as the mind of Christ. So that you may prove what that will of God is. Isn't it interesting? We're going to talk about the will of God here in a minute. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is our response? It's to arm ourselves with an attitude of Christ. What is our response? It's to be transformed. And it starts here and here. But it goes to our whole body. And it goes to the entire body of Christ. So that we will know what God's will is. That which is acceptable and perfect. What's the result? He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now you look at the end of that verse 1. That gets really tricky. What in the world is he talking about? Is he talking about Christ or is he talking about us? Because he continues in verse 2. He's clearly talking about us. So who is he talking about? Is this Christ? What does cease from sin mean? Well, you know, a, a, a quick over of this may seem that Jesus ceased from sin. Well, did he ever sin? And we know that Peter has told us in 2.22 that he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. 
So certainly he didn't sin. What this is really saying is, for if it is Christ, and there is a, as a part of this where it truly does point to Christ, Jesus has dealt with sin once and for all. He ceased, he's put it away. It's done with. He paid the price. The penalty was paid once and for all. He made a clean break that had a stranglehold on God's people. He made a break of it once and for all so that we can be set free. And set free from sin. That would have been a good amen right there. And you had a perfect time. Or is he talking about us? Have you ceased from sin? The one who stands before you hasn't. But I really believe that when you look at verse 17 in chapter 3 again, for it's better if God should will it so that you should suffer in doing what is right than rather than doing what is wrong. They that are choosing God's will, they that are saying, I'm now living in the spirit. I am putting to death this mortification of the flesh that we really are ceasing from sin in a sense where we're ceasing from its power. We're ceasing from its pleasure and we're choosing by the grace of God something that's greater it's his glory. We're saying, God, here am I. Let me walk alive in your spirit and, and put to death, put to death that mortification of sin so I could live for you and cease to live for the world. We do this by doing that which God's word has called us to do. Put to death sin and live by the spirit. Listen, why? So that we can truly live. In verse 2, it tells us this, that we need to, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Conducting your life to the will of God. It's really what it means to live your life. It really means this, to conduct your life, to live your life in a manner with purpose, with integrity, that you're going to conduct your life. The Greek word here is bio, or maybe we get it, bio. May your bio of your whole life be that which tells his story. And you live your life now for the will of God. Again, recently I saw a card that said, the Christian life, it's the best life to live. Wrong. The Christian life, God's will, it's the only way to live. And really live and have life and life abundantly. Everything else is just being a slave to sin. A life without Christ is a life that's bondage. It's not truly living. Every other life, apart from the life of Christ, listen, every other life you could live is a life of truly dying. He says, now conduct your life because of this incredible victory that's ours in Christ, because of this unbelievable reality that we share in that victory, that we're to put to death, put to death the flesh and live now for him and the will of God. Because why? Time is limited. The rest of the time remaining in the flesh, we don't know how much time you have. Time is a limited commodity. It is precious. Use it properly. I don't know how many uh, more breaths you have, how many more days you have. And Peter reminds us that we will have eternity with him, but now he's created us to be his workmanship here. Time is limited. Use it properly. And he, then he negatively looks at life and says, don't live according to the lust of man. Christian, there's such incredible good news for us. We have been freed from the lust of man. We have an option that non-Christians don't have. Don't conform to the pattern of their thinking. 
The lust of man, let me tell you the truth, the lust of man will alleviate some pain sometimes. And the lust of man, it can give you some enjoyment momentarily. It really can. I mean, would anybody have a sin problem if sin wasn't kind of fun? Would anybody have a sin problem if there wasn't some reward that we get from it? But God, in his wonderful mercy and wisdom, says, listen, ultimately, there might be, a, there might be avoiding of, of some suffering, and there might be some paybacks that feel really good, but ultimately, when you sin, ultimately, you will die. Ultimately, it can't give you life. It can't. And you're believing a lie. And it's better to follow me and suffer now and to have life and life abundantly. Sin never gives life. Ultimately, it will rob your life. But also there's positively. Now live for the will of God. Our whole lives should be will, lived in, with this question, thy will be done. Thy will be done. It's the only life to live. Well, how do we know the will of God? How do we know it? Because you know what? It's a daily struggle. It's like cleaning out your garage every day. It's removing the junk and it's remo- renewing our minds. And it needs to be in God's word I mean, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to do the right thing and to love mercy, to love the right thing and to walk humbly before the Lord. I mean, God's will does teach us what we are to do. Even in Peter, it tells us clearly in 2.15, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men that God has called us to honor him by doing right. He tells us his will in verse 3.17. If it is God's will that we should even suffer from doing right. How do we do God's will? We've got to be in God's word. We've got to be in prayer saying, God, but thy will be done. We've got to daily be cleaning out our garage. Tomorrow, I will go and I'll clean out my garage unless one of y'all call me and ask me to play golf. <laughs> but every day, today and tomorrow, we as Christians need to arm ourselves with an attitude to die to sin and to live for God. Everything you just heard is right here. This communion table preaches to us this sermon. Christ has died for our sins once and for all. This table proclaims victory in Christ. And it's this table that God gives us by His grace to strengthen us and remind us of the victory and to remember the Savior and to remember that He did die in the flesh once and for all. And so that we can celebrate and so we can declare to Him and declare to the whole world that we celebrate with Him and we taste His victory too. And that has changed our lives inside out. And now as we come as God's people and we feed upon Him, we desire to live for the will of God. And it says, God, give us strength to do it. Give us your spirit and remind us of the victory we have in Christ. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible victory that is ours in Jesus. Lord, on our own, we're lost. On our own, Father, we would never be able to taste life. All that we could taste is our own sinfulness and defeat. Father, I thank you that your own son, the eternal God, became flesh and battled for us and obtained a victory once and for all. And I thank you that that battle includes every one of your children's and that victory includes every one of your children's victory. 
Father, may now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside us, may we put to death the flesh and live to the will of God. Thank you for loving us enough to give us this table to strengthen us and to remind us. Use it, Father, to grow us in Christ-likeness, we pray. Amen. As the elders come forward, take a few moments and prepare your hearts to feed upon Christ our Savior.